Lord, I pray tonight as we look into your word. Lord, I trust that we are all here on the same page, wanting to grow, wanting to see more how you see things, to think more how you think about things. Lord, I just pray that you would speak into the angst of this present hour in our country, God. That you would just give a word to heaven that we, everyone in this room, could be part of the solution for America and not part of the problem. God, we love you, we thank you, and we praise you. Lord, I just, I just pray that you would help us tonight to just kind of let go of our agenda and opinion and just, just for a moment put ourselves before you and see what you might speak. Help us, God. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Say hi to somebody before you sit down. I want to welcome you tonight to Let's Talk About Politics. As I said this morning, there has been a lot of fear and hatred in our country because of politics. Some Democrats and some are in my family. Um, Got a brother that's very, very strong. Blame Reagan and Bush and people like Scott Walker and often portray them in such a way that they are almost like the incarnation of evil. Republicans did the same with Bill Clinton and now do with Barack Obama. Tools of darkness that are destroying our country. Anger and frustration are high, and underneath it all is fear. Both sides often use God to prove their point. God is for the poor and for the oppressed, say the Democrats, so he must be on our side. God is against abortion and for family values, say the Republicans, so he must be on our side. There's a lot of presumption about how God feels about either political party. I like Abraham Lincoln's humility. When asked if he thought if God was on the side of the union, Lincoln replied, son, the question is not, is God on our side? The question we have to ask is, are we on God's side? In Joshua chapter 5, the captain of the Lord of hosts appears to Joshua And Joshua's question is often our question. 
whose side are you on? Are you on our side or are you on the side of our adversaries? And here's what heaven says to Joshua. Neither. But the land you are standing on, the ground you are standing on, is holy ground. God, however much we want him to be on our side and to be for us and to claim God to be on our side, God's God's not on either side. When God comes, he comes to take over, not to take sides. Everybody's wrong. Everybody's loved. And God comes to bring his plan, his heart to any situation. So tonight, as we just look at Scripture, and we just think about this thing, if we just step back from what happened yesterday in America and what happened in the last, the current, let's just get out of that mode and let's, let's get big picture for a moment. And let's see how God sees this thing. So can we all relax? We all good? All right. Point one, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of man. Two very interesting scriptures very close together in the book of John. Here's John 18, verse 36. Jesus is speaking, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were... My servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jews. But now my kingdom is from another place. I do have a kingdom, and I am a king, but my kingdom's not from here. It's from somewhere else. And right now, at this present time, my kingdom is not advancing in this world by physical force. That's what Jesus says. Then just a, just a chapter later, He says this to to Pilate. You would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. So the present kingdom, the kingdom of man, the kingdom of civil government is also ordered by God. And God says to Pilate, you won't have this place except above heaven gave you the place that you have and you are accountable. You're accountable. Now, he who turned us over to you is, is, is guilty of a greater sin than you are, but you also, you were given a position by heaven. Even though Pilate doesn't even know who God is. You were given a position by God and you will give an account for what you did in this office. Interesting. The kingdom of man and its limits. Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 5. Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. 
Consequently, he who rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. For he, the civil servant, the authority that God has set in place, he is God's servant to do you good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword for nothing. He is God's servant, an agent of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Okay. So, government, civil government, is God's gift to the human race. It is, it is established by God, and it is a restrainer of evil. God gave civil government because people are sinful. People have a sin nature, and he wanted to restrain sin. So he gave the sword to civil government as a restrainer of man's sin. Without that restrainer, anarchy would rule. So God has put the sword in the hand of authority to make laws and to enforce laws as a restraint. Military in the hand of God. Luke chapter 3, verse 14. Some soldiers were questioning him, saying, and what about us? What shall we do? And he said to them, do not take money from anyone by force or accuse anyone falsely and be content with your wages. Okay, so these are soldiers. They've got the sword. They, are, they work for the government. They fight in wars. And they come to John the Baptist. How do we please God? What would we do that would please God? And do you notice what he doesn't say? He doesn't say, well, quit your job. God would never, ever want anybody to fight in the government or for the government. That's not what he says. God uses militaries. God uses and has raised up civil government and has put a sword in their hand. And all of his admonitions to the soldiers are about their attitude, about their job, not about the job itself. God disciplines the nations and he uses militaries. The whole book of Habakkuk is about Habakkuk being offended by God. Because Israel is being judged and God is using another military against Israel that's worse than Israel. They're worse sinners than Israel. He says, how can this possibly be? These guys are worse than we are and yet you're using them to judge us. Psalm 94.10 It says that God is the one who disciplines nations. Will he not rebuke? And we see this. We see it with Nebuchadnezzar. God called Nebuchadnezzar his instrument, non-Christian king in the hands of God. 
that was bringing God's discipline, not just to Israel, but to many different nations. He was a servant in God's hand. In Germany, uh, Hitler became very corrupt, very self-serving, and God raised up nations against him. He raised up militaries. He used the American military as a restraint of evil in the earth. They were, they were a tool in the hand of God. God used military to break up the Soviet Union. We didn't have to fight even. Ronald Reagan said, here's the only way you talk to the Soviet Union. You have more power than they do. You have more military might than they do. It's the only way. Once you do that, now we can talk. Because you don't talk to evil. You don't, you, don't, you don't bargain with evil. They only understand the restraint of the sword. Today, I believe America's military is also in the hands of God to restrain militant Islam. I believe it's one of the reasons God raised up America. I don't, I don't think God's done with America. I think America is being used. No, here's what happened last week. I went to lunch with Daniel Opala, who's the pastor of our uh, Nigerian church that meets over at the youth center. And his pastor, the bishop, was here with his wife. And... They've got a ministry over in Nigeria, and it's, it's, it's very powerful. But we were chatting. We were chatting at the table. We were out to eat at TGIFs. And, uh, and the bishop's wife tells me how Nigeria feels about America. She said, Pastor Tom, we pray for America every single night. Because God is using America to restrain militant Islam. We see America as a tool that God has raised up that we need to be strong because of the terror that is going on over in Africa and in Nigeria. And they are cheering, praying for America because of that. Maybe it's hard to grasp that God would use military, that God would use war. I think the reason why it's hard for us, I don't think we realize how sinful sinners are. I don't, I don't think we realize what we're capable of. The darkness in us, Jesus says, if the light in you becomes darkness, how great that darkness can be. One of the most powerful speeches in the history of our nation was Abraham Lincoln's second inaugural address. We were in the middle of the Civil War. The war had turned by this time, and it looked like the Union was on the, the brink of victory. He was reelected, and I'm just gonna, he is, he, this is in the middle of the speech. This is up on the wall in the Lincoln Memorial. But he is in the middle of describing the war and where they are, and here's what he Here's what he says. 
both, speaking of the north and the south, read the same Bible and pray to the same God. And each invokes his aid against the other. It may seem strange that any man should dare to ask a just God's assistance in wringing their bread from the sweat of other men's faces. But let us judge not that we be not judged. The prayers of both could not be answered. That of neither has been fully answered. The Almighty has his own purposes. Woe unto the world because of offenses, for it must needs be that offenses come. But woe to that man by whom the offense cometh. If we shall suppose that American slavery is one of those offenses which, in the providence of God, must needs come, but which, having continued through his appointed time, he now wills to remove, and that he gives to both north and south this terrible war as the woe due to those by whom the offense came. Shall we discern therein any departure from those divine attributes which the believers in a living God always ascribe to him? Fondly do we hope, fervently do we pray that this mighty scourge of war may speedily pass away. Yet if God wills, that it continue until all the wealth piled up by the bondsman's 250 years of unrequited toil shall be sunk. And until every drop of blood drawn with the lash shall be paid by another drawn with a sword. As was said 3,000 years ago, so it still must be said, the judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. With malice toward none, with charity for all, with firmness in the right as God gives us to see the right. Let us strive on to finish the work we are in, to bind up the nation's wounds, to care for him who shall have borne the battle and for his widow and his orphan, to do all which may achieve and cherish a just and lasting peace among ourselves and with all nations. Kind of sounds like a pastor on Sunday morning, doesn't it? More than, a, more than a president in an inaugural address to the nation. The fear of God. The kingdom of man, a restraint of evil. So let's look for just a moment at the kingdom of God and its limits. Matthew 16, 18 and 19. Jesus says, I also say to you that you are Peter, And upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. It has been given to the church to open heaven to every human being. On the face of the earth. The church has been given the job of redemption. We are those that are about redemption. Paul gave commands to slaves 
And the, and, the, and the command was not to revolt or rebel or picket. The command was obey your masters and make sure that you make Jesus look really good. He gave commands to the owners of slaves. And it wasn't get rid of your slaves. It was you take care of your slaves and treat them in a way that pleases God and makes the gospel look good. 50% of the Roman Empire were slaves. And Paul said, what our job is as the church transcends changing the political system. We, are, we need to make Jesus look good because we are here for redemption. Jesus came to remove the slavery that is in men's hearts to sin. It's a transcendent message. So Jesus said, give to God what is God's and to Caesar what is Caesar's. And of course, when Paul says all authority is established by God, he's speaking in the context of a monarchy where Caesar is the emperor. So what is God's and what is Caesar's? What, is it, what belongs to the kingdom of God and what belongs to the kingdom of man? Well, first, God did not give the sword to Peter. And he didn't give the keys of the kingdom to Caesar. Peter represents the church the kingdom of God, a mission to bring redemption. No force, but to turn the other cheek. Appealing to the conscience or the motivation of people. Redemption changes people so that they love what is right. Only redemption has the power to change a heart. Caesar representing civil government, the kingdom of man, is also appointed by God as not to bring redemption, but to restrain evil and, that, and are given the permission to use force, an eye for an eye, to bring justice in this world. They are concerned not about inward motivation, but about outward behavior. They are not concerned about loving what's right, But the people do what's right, whether they love it or not. 1 Timothy 2, 2 through 4, puts the two kingdoms in context of what their roles are. Here's what he says to the church. Pray, first of all, pray for kings and all those in authority that we may live peaceful and quiet lives. This is good and pleases God, our Savior, who wants all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. Pray that civil government does its part so that we live in safety, So that the church can do its part because God's mission is beyond just everybody being peaceful. He wants to save people. 
He has given the church a message of redemption. So pray that civil government will set a table where redemption is possible. First Timothy 1, 9 and 10. The law is not made for, the right, for a righteous person. But for those who are lawless and rebellious, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who kill their fathers or mothers, for murderers and moral men, homosexuals, kidnappers, liars and perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound teaching. It simply says this. We live in a world filled with sinners and the righteous... Those who are the redeemed, laws aren't a big deal to them because they're, they're trying to do what's right. They love what's right. They're not trying to get away with something. They want to please God. And that's why the believer is free from the law. Why? Because the law has been written on his heart. It's inside of us. It's, it's our nature to do what's right. But he says... There's still a reason for loss because everybody's not a believer yet. And the laws aren't there to make them be saved. The laws are just there as restraints so it doesn't get too bad. But it's the church that brings the message that can redeem and actually change. Ruth Graham in the 50s, Billy, Billy Graham was a good friend of Eisenhower actually led Eisenhower to Christ and he was very early in his ministry and President Eisenhower offered him the position of Secretary of State and he, he prayed about it and he asked his wife, do you think God wants me to do this? And she says, you could if you want to. She says, it would be a step down. It would be a step down. Because government and law, all it can do is be a restraint. It can't redeem. Only the church can redeem. So what happens, here's point two, what happens when either kingdom oversteps its boundaries? Okay, first let's look at what happens when the church takes over the state. Okay? This has happened a number of times in history. It's happening today in different places. The church, in its zeal, takes over and wants to be Caesar. It doesn't want to just be redemption. It wants to be Caesar. First time it happened was in the 4th century with Constantine. The church was persecuted under the Roman Empire, and then finally one of the emperors got saved. Constantine, he thought it would be a good idea to marry the two. And so he made it, everybody has to be a Christian. (laughs) And he reinstituted everything and took all of the pagan holidays and made them now Christian holidays. And so now everybody has to be a Christian. Now everybody has to be on board with what I'm doing. Do you know what that did to the church? compromised the church because now everybody just had to fake it because that's what Caesar wanted them to do and they could get in trouble if they weren't Christians 
And so everybody said they were, and the church really lost its power. In the Middle Ages, the church, in the role of Caesar, went on crusades. It was in charge of the state, and it was enforcing the kingdom of God in this earth and cleansing the, the, the world of all of its idolatry and atrocities. And so it slaughtered Muslims. It slaughtered all kinds. And, and the crusades went on and the knights, in the name of Christ, killed. And the ramifications of those crusades are still happening even today. As, a, as an evidence that Christianity can't be true because what about the Crusades? In Geneva, where Calvin had set up the church state, church and state together, would glorify God, heretics were burned. And heresy was defined as anyone who disagreed with Calvin. The Salem witch trials was a marrying of the state and the church, bringing Caesar's sword through the God-ordained church that decided who was a witch. And all you needed to do was get an accusation and you'd be on trial and then you'd be hung. Disasters. Every one of them. So what happens when the state takes, that's when the church takes over the state. What happens when the state takes over the church? Well, we've got lots of examples of this. I'll just give you a couple current ones, or recent ones anyway. Hitler took over the German Protestant church. Everybody had to clear their sermons with him. Everybody had to, there were things you could say, there were things you couldn't say. And of course, there were some men of God, like Bonhoeffer, that that resisted and said, this is, this is an abomination. Communism today. There's a whole church in, in China that's had to go underground. There's also a church that's the visible church, and those are the ones that, that agreed with the, the Chinese government is all for freedom for religion as long as we look at all of your sermons first. We approve all of your pastors. We approve all of your decisions. And whenever you put the state and the church together, you are weakening the church. And I'm not saying there's no good that can come through it, but very little. The power in China is the underground church that is the, the church in resistance to the state running the church. We were in Faustin, And uh, we had a guy come to our church who's a pastor in Norway. And he was, he was just astonished. He just, we walked around the church and he was there on a Sunday morning. We had a couple hundred people there and he said, I just, he said, I just don't understand this. He says, uh, I, am, I live in a city of 10,000 and the state runs the church. The state pays the pastors. And he said, on a Sunday morning, in this city of 2,000. He said, we're the only church in town. We, we are the church. that we, we, we are set up by the state. 
And we're lucky to get 100 people, and it would never be enough to pay one pastor's salary. He said, and here's, here's this town, Faustin, Minnesota, 1,500 people in the whole town. There are eight thriving churches in Faustin. You've got a pastor and a youth pastor, and the people are the ones, but there's, what's going on here? Well, the people don't own the church in Norway. The government owns the church. Okay, point three. How does a Christian act towards civil government? Point one, understand, oh, I wanted to give you this today. Here, here's, the, here's the big, uh, the state and the church together illustration of today. Islam. That's what Islam does. Marries the church and the state. We take over both. We are Caesar and we are the, the, the church. And we, we, they're enforcing Sharia law and cleansing society of anybody that doesn't agree with their way of looking at things. It's, it's a disaster. Doesn't change anybody's hearts. It just keeps everybody in line. State and the church should not be together. They have two separate functions. All right, so how does a Christian act towards civil government? Point one, understand that it is not the big answer or the big problem. It's interesting that the anger and frustration seen in many Christians today towards government is not seen in Jesus or Paul, whose government was way worse than America's. Here's the problem. If you don't really believe in redemption, if you don't really believe that the church actually has the power to bring hope and change, if you don't really believe the church has the keys to the kingdom, if you don't believe that for real, then your whole answer has to be the government. And your whole problem has to be the government. And so all of your, if, if all of your unhappiness and all of the unhappiness in our society, if, if the only answer and the only problem is government, then you've got a very easy solution. If you are a Republican then the big problem in this country is there's too much government. And the answer that's going to solve everybody's problems and make everybody happy is if we get those guys out and we get less government. And if you're a Democrat and you don't believe in redemption, government's all you've got. So the problem then is that there's not enough government. And if we could just get more government then everybody would be happy and the society would work wonderfully. And so everybody's angry. The Republicans are angry because there's too much government. The Democrats are angry because there's, there's not enough government. And so there's blame and there's, 
and, and the root of it all is that we're trying to get government to do something government can't do. The people in the day of Jesus, in the day of Paul, there was a group like this that government was the answer and government was the problem. They were called the zealots. And they were, they were instituting a revolution and, and taking up arms because they wanted to get their government in and get the Roman, the problem is the Roman government. Paul said, there's no problem here. There's, the gospel will work under the Roman government. Even if they send us to prison, even if they kill us, the gospel always works in every government. Get your eyes off the government because Jesus is able to redeem Pray for the government. Pray that it will. Oh, we're moving on to point two. Okay. Uh, That's point two is pray. Jeremiah 29, 7. Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. And pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will have welfare. We're not home yet. We're not in the, the kingdom of God, the physical kingdom of God yet. We're, everyone in this room, every Christian in this room, we're in exile. We're still on this earth. We're still in man's kingdom. We're, Jesus's kingdom comes from above and it's not here fully yet. So we're still in man's kingdom. We're in exile, but we're still in a kingdom just like the Israelites were in Babylon. They were in a foreign land. By the will of God, by the ordaining of God, they were in that land. And God gave them instructions while they were there. Pray for them. Pray for the Babylonian government. Pray for the godless people that are in government. Because if that city prospers and has welfare, then you will prosper and have welfare while you are there. What is the role of a Christian and how should he act towards civil government? Thirdly, be a voice of conscience for the nation. One of the most amazing movies, if you don't own this movie, you should, or at least rent it. It's called Amazing Grace. It's the story of William Wilberforce. William Wilberforce was converted and very affected by the guy who wrote Amazing Grace, John Newton. John Newton was a slave owner, and he he just was horrible, and God saved him supernaturally, and he repented, and he he became a, a pastor. And William Wilberforce was in Parliament and he too was converted to Christ. He too found that the things of this world had lost their hold and lost their interest and he just wanted to think about God and about Jesus and about heaven and he came to John Newton and he said, which which monastery should I become part of? Which order should I become part of? John Newton says, he says, you know what? He says, we got plenty of pastors. We got plenty of Christians that are in the ministry. He said, we don't have many in Parliament. 
He said, why don't you bring the kingdom of God to bear on parliament? And so he became God's voice in the late 1700s to parliament. And his mission was to overturn slavery. And the first time that he brings it up in parliament, they all laugh because the whole economy is based on these slaves. <laughs> of course we need slaves. Of course we need the slave trade. That's how, that's, that's our financial strength is, the, is slavery. And he said, it's, it's not right. And every year, he would bring up a bill against slavery. And every year it would get voted down. Proverbs 25, 15. Through patience, a ruler can be persuaded and a gentle tongue can break a bone. There was a movement to become violent. It was, it was right at the time of the French Revolution and uh, the French Revolution did. It completely revolted against the aristocracy and against all authority and against God and God had appointed authority and that French Revolution was a disaster. And so there was a, a movement that wanted to do that in England and especially around the slave trade because of how the atrocity of the slave trade and Wilberforce refused to join it even though he was accused of being part of it because some of the guys that he was with, they couldn't wait for it to be turned around. So they wanted to go violent. He, he refused. And he just kept plotting and plotting and plotting. And finally, the conscience of a government, of a country was awakened. And they turned it around without a war. Tremendous movie. The Christian responsibility to be a voice to government for those that don't have a voice. Of course, the big issue today is abortion. And babies that should be protected by our Constitution and Christians raising a voice for those that have no voice of their own to the government and saying, this is wrong. And the government can come back and say anything it wants to about it's just a fetus or it's just this and it's just this or just this. And people, people can justify anything any way they want to, but the Christian is not angry, is not threatening violence or we're going to blow up abortion clinics, but we're persistent and we're going to pray, and we're going to speak, and we're going to use legal means to say, this is wrong, and it needs to stop. And I don't know how much you've followed the abortion thing, but abortion is losing ground in this country. There are laws being changed. The way Wilberforce changed slavery, it did not happen all at once. It's not like there was just one law. He got in on a technicality, and first it was way restricted, because of some other law he got past that the opposition didn't see coming in. And it happened little by little by little until it was finally cleansed. 
And God has raised a voice through the church, rightfully so. For the unborn. Number four, how does a Christian act towards civil government? In some cases, we have to disobey civil authorities. Acts chapter 4, verse 19. Whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God, you be the judge. For we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. They were commanded to speak no longer in the name of Jesus. They were commanded to not do the mission of the church. Peter and John just stood boldly, said, you know what, guys? We honor you, we honor your position, but you don't own us. And, you, and, and this is a... This is the Sanhedrin. This is the Jewish authority. So they're all believers in God. And they say, you decide whether it's right or not for us to obey God. You, you decide what you want to do with us. You punish us, do whatever you want to, but we will obey God and not man. We can't obey this order because it's, it's wrong. This is what happened with Daniel, he was given a command by authority to stop praying. You couldn't pray to any god except to, to, that god, to, to uh, Darius. And he was very honoring to Darius. So honoring to Darius. Had such a great attitude towards authority. When Darius saw that he was tricked, he stayed up all night and fasted, praying that God would deliver Daniel. Of course, Bonhoeffer could not obey what Hitler was asking. And there were a group of pastors that chose to walk with him to sure imprisonment. And many of them eventual martyrdom just because they... They refused to be owned by the state. They were going to continue to be a a voice to the conscience of the state. So, this is happening right now all over the world. There are countries where you are ordered, you are commanded to not speak, to not convert people, to to not do the mission of the church. It's very clearly, very dangerous for a Christian to be in those countries. Um, but you know what? We're only here for a few minutes, aren't we? The Bible says that in the end times that Antichrist will be in an absolute rage and he will go after believers. And then many of us, if we're alive at that time, will die on martyr's death at the guillotine. It says they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony and by not loving their lives even unto death. 
We don't know. We don't know the future of America. We don't know where America is going, and it may become illegal to have an opinion, to, to read scripture about some of the issues of our day. And then I'll have a prison ministry. Pray for me. Okay. Number five, we should vote. but not slander. When we in our anger and in our frustration and being so sure that our opinions are right and we demonize the other side and think it is our right because we're Americans to have free speech, we don't realize what we're doing with our slander. We are empowering darkness. We're empowering darkness over that person. We're empowering darkness in our region. We're empowering darkness over our country. We must trust God. We, t- we need to take our anger, our frustration, and our fear, and we need to take them before Jesus. We need to take them before the cross, and we must trust God and look to him for the real answer for America, which is redemption through the church. We need to, because we're in a democracy, we're not in a monarchy, so it's not, it's not fair to just say, it's just like we should do what Paul and Jesus did. Because they were not living in a democracy. They were living in a monarchy. The king made the law. The, 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 law, well, the law was right because the king said it was right. And that was it. O king, live forever. We will do whatever you tell us to do. But we are in a democracy and there's a responsibility with a democracy. We're actually in a republic, but it's that we, we elect and we have a role. And we need to play that role. We need to vote. If God calls us to be in the military, we need to be in the military. We need to serve either president, either party, and be in the military. If God calls us to run for political office, we run for political office. We do what God tells us to do, and we do it revealing his beauty, the character of Christ. And we also do it with a knowledge of the limitations of government. And if we serve in that way, we still don't see government as the answer. Government can't bring hope and change. Only Jesus can. God's heart is for revival and awakening. Whatever faults our government has, and there are many, Whichever party is in, there are many faults. Our government, right now, as it stands right now, is not hindering us from seeking God's face. When God, here's my last point, and then we will go to the the open mic. Here's my, uh, the seventh thing we should do, or sixth, or whatever it is. We should repent. We should repent. 
When God looks at America, he is not thinking, boy, if we could just get the right person in that White House. If we could just get the right... When God looks at America, here's what he says. If my people who are called by my name will seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. Guys, we need, a, we need an out-and-out revival. If, let's say we can get some laws changed. Let's say we can get just the laws that you want changed, changed, okay? It doesn't change anybody's heart. All it does is, is put some barriers around it. I'm not saying it's not good to have barriers because when people, when the government calls evil good and, and it, it takes people in a wrong way and innocent people get hurt. So I'm not saying it's not good to change a law. But a law doesn't change hearts. People will just go right to that fence and look to the mud and want to get there and find a way around that law and find a way under it or over it or through it. Or John Adams said, our second president said this, our constitution can really only govern a religious people. Our constitution puts the power in the people. And if this is not a self-governing People that are walking in the fear of God with a moral, what's going to happen is it's going to promote anarchy where if we have to govern this thing with police, there's going to have to be a policeman on every single corner. And we just get to do whatever we want to do. And the government pays for it. I don't, th- I don't think the $16 trillion debt is the big problem for America. I think God could knock out that debt. I don't think the problem is that there's not prayer in the schools. I think the problem is that there's not much prayer in the church. I don't think we've believed enough in redemption. I don't know that we've believed that the keys of the kingdom are in our hands. I, I think God's waiting for the church to wake up and bring the kingdom and believe in the kingdom. So this is, uh, so that's my heart. I love this nation. All you got to do is go to another country, really. <laughs> and you think very differently about America. I've been to many countries and there's no place on earth that I've seen that's even close to what we have in America. And I know that's part why people get so angry and so frustrated because they feel like it's slipping away. 
God has an answer. And the answer is Jesus. All right, so let's... uh, Let's just pray and then we'll open the mic. How's that? Lord, you said first of all, you want prayer for kings and those that are in authority. Lord, would you forgive us as a church, would you forgive me as a Christian for not praying enough for our president and our justices and our governors and Lord we pray tonight for President Obama Lord you know that this country is in a heap of trouble right now you know what a disaster the Obamacare it's just it's confusing it's things that that were supposed to be are not and everybody's mad and upset and God, we pray for wisdom for President Obama. We pray for wisdom for his advisors that are around him. We pray for wisdom for Republican leaders. We pray for a transcendent vision that is about helping America not getting reelected. Lord, we know that men and women in the, in the White House and around there and Congress and the Senate are basically good people that really are trying to do what's right. They just get caught up in things. And we just pray that the darkness would be broken in Jesus' name and that you would bring your light. Lord, frankly, that both sides of the fence would look and say, you know what? Only God, only God could solve this. And that they would join hands and pray. And Father, but even even with that, we simply pray that in this present government, we say thank you for this government. Thank you that this is not Nero who is going to kill us next week. This This is not... China, where we're going to shut our church down next week and everybody's going to have to go. I don't have to submit my sermons to, to the representative of the government every week to make sure that what I'm saying is supportive. God, thank you for the incredible freedom that we have in this country to seek God. There's really no, there's nothing holding us back except sometimes ourselves. So God, would you forgive us For when we looked to government to be the answer and when we blamed government as the ultimate problem for this country, forgive us, God. Jesus, you are fixing to do something great in this land. I believe it with all of my heart. God, I believe America's best days are still in front of us. But right now, we need it, God. We need a breakthrough. We need a breakthrough in our thinking. And Lord, I pray, God, that you would make every single person that's in this room right now, 
including myself. I've got people that are very strong on both sides, both parties, very strong. And I just pray that you would help us to speak gently, soundly, and prayerfully as we just even mingle with people that are hurt and frustrated and afraid. Help us to bring your redemption everywhere we go, God. Thank you, God, for our military. Lord, thank you that you have raised up America and put a sword in her hand for justice in this world. And God, I'm not saying that we've used it right or exactly right, but I believe with all my heart we've tried to. We've tried to be in the right place. We've tried to do the right thing, even when we ended up making a mess. Thank you for that, God. Father, thank you for the restraint on militant Islam so that the gospel can continue to be preached. And so God, we pray for our military and, and what needs to be done in Syria and what needs to be done in Iran and what needs to be done in Saudi Arabia and what needs to be done in Egypt and what shouldn't be done and what, Lord, all of this stuff going on is extremely complicated and we need your wisdom it is a tremendous responsibility to hold the sword and you said to Pilate that he would give an account for what he did with it and so God we just pray for all of the decisions that are made help us God as a nation to return to you to humble ourselves to pray, seek your face, turn from our wicked ways. God, please, please, God, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Vote for somebody who supports abortion. Yep. How do you feel about that? Well, I, like I said, I've got a lot of people on that side, uh, on the other side, and here's their perspective. Um, Psalm 139, of course, would be about God forming us in our mother's womb, and, and that's a verse we often use about this being a real baby, and they're like, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe not, but... I've got a thousand verses to that one verse about how we're to treat the poor and how we're to treat the oppressed and the downcast. And the Republicans are taking from, they're giving money to the rich and they're taking away from the poor and doing it shamelessly. And just some of the changes that have been made recently are just killing the poor. They're taking away... They've reduced food to the, 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 the already the, 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 the part of our society that is suffering the most, they just made it way worse and just by their laws. And so that's, that's how they look at it. And they look at the African-American church, for instance, almost always votes Democrat. 
because they feel like that's the voice. They are the ones giving a voice to those who are oppressed. Now, we, we can make the argument the logical democratic position should be against abortion because there's no one that's more oppressed and has less voice than an unborn baby. But um, so that's, that's where they're coming from. And I, that's just where they're coming from. Now, I, I think that we have a responsibility to say it's not a fetus, it's a child. And it's not up to us to decide. I think that we, we say that. And of course, we vote how we vote. But that's, that's the other side. And um, that also, I think, is a misconception, is that, uh, that the Republicans do everything against the poor, etc. And... And that goes to another point. It's the point about charity. Yep. Uh, about charity is, is, is giving of our own. And if we're forcing people to give uh, by taxation, then what good is it? I mean, uh, then it, it, it's, it's not charity. It's, it's, like, it's like what you said about Sharia law. Yeah, Sharia yeah. law. In Sharia law, they have they uh, they they have forced tithing uh, to take care of the poor, etc. And uh, you know, it it seems to me all throughout the Bible that's why what I read. It's we're we're supposed to do it from our heart and not 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 be forced to do yep, it. Yep, and the government doesn't care whether you do it from your heart or not. Mm-hmm. Right. The government is making a safety net for poor people. They want poor people to eat. They want, they want this to be a land of opportunity, not just for the wealthy, but for those. They, they can't make people make right decisions, but they can. Food stamps are not about the adults. Food stamps are about the children. And the idea of using some of our tax money as a safety net for the most oppressed of the of our people it makes sense. And it's certainly not hindering the church from being charitable. I mean, I talked to Andy Zirkus, and we're doing a lot with that food pantry, but Andy's very upset that food stamps are being cut in Wisconsin because these people that he knows, the real people, are already struggling in every single way. And it's... Uh, so, yeah... I, I totally understand where you're coming from, bro. I'm trying to just give you a little of where they're coming from and how they feel about it. And so that's, that's the dialogue. And how much government should there be? It's, it's kind of like parenting. Parenting shouldn't be micromanaging your kids. and control, The goal of parenting is not to control them. It's just to make sure they don't kill each other. Isn't that right? Make a safe. You make a safe place. I'm all for you not making a ton of laws for your kids or a ton of rules because then you have to enforce them. Just make a few rules. But you do need some rules and there needs to be some because you can't have people. It needs to be a fair place for your brothers and your sisters. And so government has some role in doing that. And it, 
it can be too much, it can be too little. And um, what role should the government have with the poorest of society? How large that role should be, how small it should be, I don't know. But, so, there you go. Linda, Kathy, and then Moji. Thank you. Um, First of all, if one in seven Americans are in food stamps, it's probably not the poorest of the poor. Um, Wisconsin has not cut food stamps. What happened was the federal government increased the funding for food stamps, food share, whatever we're calling it these days, SNAP, and that expired. So nobody cut food stamps. It just, the additional program that was part of the stimulus package expired. Um, I think it's real important to understand instead of going Republican, Democrat, Republican, Democrat, um, or even conservative, liberal, um, we understand that we are all to be liberal and generous and giving, and that we are all to be very careful and conservative and not wasteful. I think that's really an important thing to understand. And, and, and we need to be in prayer. You know, I, I see a lot of these politicians up close and personal, and some of them, it's just a hysterically fun game to see who can get the most, most power. And if you can't have power, you can at least snip and snot at each other. And it goes on both sides. And I see some people who are good people trying to do the right thing, but they just don't know the Lord. And I see a lot of people that really love Jesus and are trying to do the right thing from their heart. So would you please pray? Because there is great power, great power in prayer. Amen. Thank you. Just a comment to how to react to the situation with someone that's arguing about abortion. Um, One of the the great things that I think is available to the church now is the fact that we can get involved with people long before abortion is even thought about and begin to affect that whole community that is in promiscuity or not really loving themselves. And it's a greater opportunity for the church to step forward and say, I don't choose to take a side on abortion. I choose to take the side on loving people right where they're at, that you don't have to go out and give yourself away. You don't have to do those things like the rest of the world says, but we have a bigger opportunity now to step in and say, we love you, we care about you. Why don't you think about a different alternative? Maybe sleeping with that guy isn't going to be the best thing, or sleeping that, you know, being with that person isn't going to be the best thing right now. Why don't you wait a few minutes? And taking those opportunities to say, I'm not pro or, or against abortion or whatever, I'm not going to fight that battle. I choose to fight the battle of personal chastity and loving yourself enough to just wait. And I think the message that you gave this morning on marriage was very important as far as sex and marriage. It is important because you need it for the battles. You need it to, you know, get through the, the troubled times. Also, the other part of some of the farm plan and all of those things that have not been extended was a support system for farmers, for food stamps, for all of those different things. But yet, doesn't the word say bring all of the tithe into the storehouse for the support of the widows and the orphans. Is the church supposed to be stepping in and stepping up 
And is that part of the position that Christ called us to do that we didn't do yet? And it's time and an opportunity to do that. So what a privilege. Amen. And I, I just want to say this about what you said about abortion. One of my favorite ministries is CareNet. Their banquet is this Thursday. Um, because they say abortion is wrong. They take that stand. Absolutely, abortion is wrong. But the economic reason for abortion is we, we, it's an economic decision. We, we can't afford it. And so they don't just say it's wrong. They say, here's an alternative. We will care for the child. We will help you have the baby. We will pay the... It's just an amazing ministry. And it's such a beautiful ministry where the church is not just saying, that's wrong, but saying, we will help you. We will help you do the right thing. We're not just telling you to do the right thing. We're helping you do the right thing. So good. Moji. Uh, yes. Um, I love prayers because it's the one place I can be and I don't have to worry about what is right. Um, I'm very, very political. <laughs> so don't get me wrong in that. Um, but I want, <laughs> I, want to, I want to say something about focusing on issues. Um, it is in fact true that most black people, including myself, will vote Democratic any given day. Um, but it is not true that that means that I'm not pro-life. So just <laughs> yes. I'm, I'm vehemently pro-right, uh, pro-life. So please, <laughs> we should stop looking at issues and um, not make assumptions. So, no, I'm not talking to you, though. I'm, the, the pastor was the one that said, um, actually, that African-Americans vote uh, Democratic all the time. Um, but, but it is true that I'm, I'm pro-life and I, and I vote democratic. Um, but what, what I was going to say is that faith is actually not logical. Um, anytime you bring logic to faith, you are in trouble. And so when we try to solve the problem of everyday life with logic, this, therefore, that, or that, therefore, this. And I know we have to do it because we live in a society where uh, you have to make decisions all the time. And again, that is going back to my first comment. That's why I love prayers. Because after I'm done with the uh, intellectual exercise of <laughs> feeling good about whether I'm pro-life or uh, pro-right, uh, pro-whatever uh, pro the other side is, um, then I get on my knees. And I focus on Jesus, and I, I and I ask the will's uh, the God, Lord's will to be done in that situation and every given situation, so that I can find my peace and hear from God what He really wants. What's the heart of God uh, for food stamps is being cut or the new the extension is not being voted upon or whatever it is that we are doing, uh, because. God is in control all the time, all the time. And sometimes when he allows things to happen that we don't like, it's because we are supposed to then say, Lord, what do you want us to do? The reaction should not be, 
demonizing either side of the coin. But I know um, politicians like the limelight and we are not as informed as we ought to be about situations that are going on. So even what the sound bites that we hear on TV uh, is not necessarily what is going on in the Republican Party or what is going on in the Democratic Party. But again, I think the most important thing is letting go and letting God because in the presence of God is where we are going to find all the answers. Amen. Thank you. Somebody else? Oh, John, we're running you, bro. (laughs) Dr. Luke. Hey. Um, I don't know if this is so much of a question, maybe more of a comment. Comments, fine. But um, in the prayer before people started asking questions, you, in, part of it was for God to give us a breakthrough in our thinking. And personally, in my life, the breakthrough in my thinking, um, and this was a few years ago, was until then... I always settled for the lesser of the two evils. Probably three out of four people that I talked about politics and who they voted for or who they're going to, three, three out of four times they say, well, I, I, I just got to go for this guy because he's the lesser of the two evils. And my breakthrough was we, we can't have that mindset. We, we have to study the candidates best that we can and judge on our hearts who is the best, even if that doesn't mean it's the top two. The, I, I, I get pretty passionate about politics also, but especially as a church, we need to have integrity with ourselves and with God and with our family to vote for the right person no matter what. You know, if it ends up being, let's just for example, Obama and Romney. If it happens to be Obama or Romney, as long as you're you and God and, and you're not compromising, you know, the whole lesser of the two evil thing, then great. But if that's if there's a serious check on your heart, but you know, since one is lesser than the other, I'll just vote for that. I mean, in, with my opinion and what I have with God, that's, that's not right. And especially with the church, we need to have that integrity to just, even if it means writing in a guy, voting for a guy who's number five, but don't settle. Our vote, our vote is a holy thing. So, and and, it, and it, it needs to be taken very seriously. Thank you, bro. That's good. Mario. <clears throat> um, <laughs> where I work... Um, people who vote Republican keep a low profile uh, because it's it's sort of perceived as a whole there that voting Republican is not a good thing. So people keep a low profile. Uh, I work in a in a secular government run institution. Um, that doesn't surprise me. 
I mean, it's something that I might expect from a secular government-run institution, okay? Um, the vast majority of people there are not believers. And I would, that behavior shouldn't surprise me, you know, when you say you voted for such and such a person that you get a finger pointed at you and there's anger and there's accusation. Now, here's what does surprise me. There are people in this body that don't want to mention who they voted for. They keep a low profile. They don't talk about it with anyone. They're actually very, very political, but they're not political around people in this body. Why is that? Because they're scared to death of someone pointing a finger at them and making accusations because of the way they voted. And that, I find, A, surprising, and number two, rather sad. And so I I really think that um, if you're going to err, so to speak, on one side or the other, err on the side of compassion. Okay? Because some of these people I know extremely well. And they love the Lord with all their hearts. They have all of their lives. And they serve God with a passion that I see in few other Christians. And, you know, I'm not a preacher. (laughs) But I'll tell you this. A house divided within itself will not stand. And so my... My plea to all of you is don't divide this house. Don't divide this house over politics. I mean, okay, agree to disagree, right? But don't ostracize or mock or slander anyone because of their political beliefs. That's my plea. It's a good word, bro. It's a good word. And I think that's part of what the whole point of tonight is, is we can talk. Christians should be able to talk with people. Christians should be able to, somebody's got a different opinion. Okay, that's okay. And love them and, and, but it's all right to have your own opinion too. And, but let's be Christian in how we carry it. Go ahead, bro. Um, I've been, interested in political things since 1953 when I was six years old and asked my 11-year-old brother what a police action was and he explained the Korean War to me. My real interest started in 1960, though, and it continued ever since then. I have a sign in my car. Let me me prefer something else about that. Um, um, I have four majors. Three of them are history, economics, and the Bible. And all three of them, the fourth one is social studies in general, which includes political science and law. Uh, A lot of time in college. (laughs) All of those have something to do with how I vote and what I think about candidates. I voted the first time on my 21st birthday, 1968. 
this last election was the first time that I didn't vote for president. I voted, but not for president. The second time I've done that, the previous time was 1980. I didn't vote for a senator because I, my education tells me that both candidates in both situations were wrong. I'm not a one-person voter, rather one-issue voter. There's a sign in my car that says Republican against Walker, most photographed sign in demonstrations. The reason is because you have to look at everything according to the full picture, not just one issue. You have to look at it in terms of what is your integrity, not only politically, but as a Christian. As Christians, we have a responsibility not only to ourselves and our families, but to our community. We have to ask ourselves, what does it mean to take care of widows and orphans? The Bible tells us to do that. Not something you hear many Republicans nowadays talking about. But I used to be a welfare caseworker too. Um, have to pay your taxes. I used to be a tax collector as well. I'm retired from that. Uh, you have to take your responsibilities within the community. I'm a veteran. All three of my brothers were veterans too. One of them died in Vietnam. All these things make a difference in your lives. Evaluate who you are as a Christian and as a member of society and how you want other people to treat you and act accordingly. Thank you, bro. What we're going to do, guys, it's 8 o'clock. We're going to close in prayer, and then I'm going to sit up here, and anybody that wants to come up and chat and talk, tell me something you have or a verse you have or a question you have that didn't, we didn't get to do with everybody. Um, I think that's just how we will do it because I told everybody 638. So could we stand together? <clears throat> John, why don't you close us, bro? You got the microphone. Would you close us in prayer, bro? Father, we thank you uh, once again for loving us enough to confront us with um, our own opinions that may need to be adjusted. And we pray, God, that uh, your grace would continue to be upon us. And we thank you that you smile upon us uh, for caring enough, Lord God, to uh, confront us and uh, help us to uh, shine the light of Jesus uh, in every area, including politics. In Jesus' name, amen. Guys, thank you so much for coming. You guys are awesome. And uh, have a great night. I'll be up here if you want to talk more.